Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. There's a phrase in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that summarizes what Jesus went through and I just want to focus on that one phrase today uh, to prepare our hearts for receiving the Lord's Supper. Follow as I read Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to think about two little phrases there out of this verse. And the one is despising the shame, and the other is for the joy that was set before him. As we would think, first of all, about the shame of Christ, we need to turn back to Matthew 26. What I'm hoping today that you might gain through our meditation in the Scripture is a greater appreciation for the Savior. He told us when we come to this table, we are supposed to remember Him. Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me If I deliver him to you, and they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, so from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's follow on to more of the shame of Jesus. In fact, we just read about it in verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me then. See what Jesus says here? In another version of this, he says, have you come out to me like a common criminal, if you will? They sent the SWAT team to arrest Jesus. Do you understand? They they, they called out all these soldiers with their swords and clubs. And Jesus said, I was with you daily in the temple. Why didn't you take me then? He was treated as a common criminal when in fact he was not guilty of anything. The fourth aspect of the shame of Christ is the betrayal of one of his closest disciples. Turn back to chapter 26, if you would, of Matthew. And look at verse 31. You know this story, the story of Peter. Matthew 26, 31 Then Jesus said to them all, 
all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And of course, that's what happened. We've already read about that with all of them in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all fled. He says, you will all be caused to stumble, verse 31, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. He basically says, guys, it's going to be okay. <laughs> he says, I know you're going to fail, but we're going to get back together and we're going to go forward. Verse 33, and Peter said, even if everyone is made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What, what a stark contrast. Look at chapter 26, verse 56. All this was done that the scriptures, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Really, we think of Peter denying Christ three times. He really denied Christ four. This is the first right here. Then we go to chapter 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside. Jesus was inside the building or inside the house, if you will. Peter sat outside in the courtyard. It would have been a, a walled courtyard, but with no roof. Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. Verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, he moves outside a little bit farther. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to keep undercover. Another girl saw him and said to those who were with him, This guy was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up. They got up close to him. They're examining him. Surely you are one of them. For your speech, your way you talk, betrays you. Verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And Luke adds this phrase after Peter denied the third time, and Jesus turned and looked at him. The fifth aspect of the shame of Christ is, of course, the shame of the crucifixion itself and the other punishments he went through. We're not going to look at these in detail, but we start with the shame of unjust punishment. Now, I'd guess that everybody who drives a car here has probably been stopped by a police officer one time or another. Um, and if you haven't, we'll give you an A after church today. And I would guess that in a lot of those instances, you thought, well, I don't deserve this. But in fact, you really did deserve it. <laughs> Jesus didn't deserve any punishment at all. Not one thing. He had not done one thing wrong. But when you are accused, uh, just recently, I think it was in Seattle, there was a man uh, accused of indecency with some young girls. I think he was a school teacher. And it finally came out that they made the whole thing up because they skipped school or some other crazy thing. They made the whole thing up. Can you imagine what that guy went through? 
Jesus was completely persecuted through this unjust punishment. He didn't deserve any of what he got. And yet he was viewed as a common criminal. He had the shame of excessive punishment. He was punished, I mean, even if he did something that made somebody unhappy, he didn't deserve what happened to him. And then there was the shame of spiteful treatment by his own creation. Turn with me to Matthew 26, verse 66. He is being questioned by some of the leaders. And in verse 66, they ask the question, What do you think? And other people answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? The thing that I'd like you to think about here is this. Jesus created the people who spit on him. He was there in eternity, as Psalm 139 says, knitting together them in their mother's womb in the most intricate fashion and causing them to be created specially and uniquely. His very creation saying, you ain't nothing. <laughs> Go around behind him where he can't see and hit him. Say, hey, prophesy, tell us. Can you imagine? Do you know how, boy, I, there was a child one time in, in Tukwila. We, we, we rented our church to an ethnic group. And, and I was walking across the parking lot and this four or five-year-old child had a cup and they threw it on the ground. And I went over and said, you need to pick that up and put it in the garbage. And that child went like this. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. You want to do the same thing I wanted to do. And I had to hold back. Can you imagine Jesus being spit in the face by his own creation? I can't imagine I mean, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 tells us that Jesus holds together the universe. When you ask the question, why do the electrons and, uh, keep spinning around the protons and neutrons, and why does that all keep happening? Nobody knows why, except God. And you know why it is? Because Jesus keeps them spinning. And can you imagine, I mean, if it was me, I'd be thinking... I'll tell you who just hit me. The guy who's just dissolved into a puddle of ooze. <laughs> Boom. And all he'd have to do is let go of that guy's molecules. Boy, that's what I'd do. Jesus had to stand there and take it. His own creation treating him spitefully. There was the shame of being treated or being traded for a common criminal. The Roman governor had a habit of releasing somebody at the Passover time. So he, he, wanted to, he wanted to get out from under this responsibility of killing Jesus because he was kind of nervous about the whole thing. In fact, his wife said, keep your hands off this guy, but he, he wouldn't do it. So he thought, hey, 
I'm going to release somebody. Who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? Oh, we want Barabbas! We want Barabbas! Barabbas was probably a revolutionary who had murdered people in the act of revolution against Rome. And Jesus, the innocent Jesus, is traded for a revolutionary. There is the shame of being condemned to death by the very people he helped. Look at Matthew 27, verse 22. After this interchange with Barabbas, in Matthew 27, verse 22, we read this. Pilate said to them, What then, if you're going to take, if I'm going to release Barabbas, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Now I want you to think about something. If you read the Gospels carefully, you will read a little phrase several times that goes something like this. And this is the Lunsford paraphrase. Jesus would come into town and people would hear that he was there and the scripture would, would say this. They brought all the sick to him and he healed them all. We read about a few specific miracles in, this, in the Gospels because God specifically wants us to understand about the power of Christ. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's why the Apostle John, at the end of the Gospel of John, says, if I was to write about all the things Jesus did, all the books couldn't contain it all. There's so many things to say. He said, but these, these I have written, might I paraphrase it, these few I have written that you might believe. Jesus healed Thousands and thousands of people all over Israel, wherever he went, they brought all these sick people. He healed them all. Some of those people he healed had to be in these crowds saying, crucify him. There had to be some of the folks. He healed so many, it just, it just has to be that there were some of them there. Can you imagine? Have you ever helped somebody and then they turn on you, and you're thinking, hello, is there no loyalty, no friendship, no whatever? There's the shame of nakedness. Matthew 27, verse 28. In part of this process of abusing him, it says they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Do I have to say much more than to say, do you like to be naked in public? No. Somehow God is, you know, either God or our sin has given us a desire to be private and so on. Can you imagine a bunch of coarse men and they strip another man naked? Oh, I'm sure they're very sensitive and kind. The shame of nakedness. The shame of being crucified with common criminals. And no doubt, some of the people who had been sleeping under rocks walked by and said, oh, there's a bunch of criminals getting crucified. Oh, good for them. No, you know, the common criminals. (laughs) 
Then there was the shame of insult while he suffered. Look at Matthew 27, verse 28. Excuse me, let's see. Yes. Verse 29, And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. I want to skip down a little bit farther. Down to... um, 48, maybe. No, verse, uh, there it is. Verse 30, 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed. That, That means to say something bad against. It's usually used in reference to God. They blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In other words, they're saying, You're a big talker, aren't you? Now it's the crisis time. Let's see what you got. Likewise, the chief priest, verse 41, also mocking with the scribes and the elders said he saved others himself he cannot save if he is the king of israel let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him he trusted in god let him deliver him now if he will if he will have him for he said i am the son of god even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing here he is dying he's been beaten, he's been abused, he's nailed on a cross. He's suffering tremendous physical pain and all these people are doing is coming by and saying, you are such a joke. You talked big, but you can't deliver now. Oh, boy, if there's ever a time when you'd want to come down and just show them who you are, that would have been it. All this shame on the innocent Jesus. But shame isn't the whole story. Hebrews 12.2 says, He endured this shame, despising it. I mean, remember that, folks. Jesus wasn't, you know, He wasn't the Teflon Savior. Oh, yeah, sticks and stones will break my bones. The words will never hurt me. Oh, no big deal. You know, I'm just going to hang here for three hours, and then that'll be over. No biggie, you know. Ha, 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 you're not hurting me. No, despising the shame. Despising it. He thought of it just like you would think of it. But what was it that kept him going? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 says it was the joy. The joy set before him. And we could just read so many passages of Scripture. I just want to go to one, and it's in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read about the joy that was set before Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And you, you believer in Christ, you, he made alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The first aspect of Christ's joy that I would like to try to share with you this morning is this. Christ took joy in freeing us from the control of sin and in giving us a new life. He knew that his suffering and sacrifice, shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection was the only way we could be free of our sin. We are sitting here today able to do righteousness and to say no to sin because Christ endured the shame of punishment. He looked at you and he said, you need to be delivered from the power of sin. He looked at me and said, Dave Lunsford needs to be delivered from the power of sin. He is dead. The scripture puts it this way, dead in trespasses and sins. We're totally controlled by sin. It's overrun you. You can't do anything about it. He says, I'm going to deliver that guy. I'm going to deliver that lady. I'm going to deliver that child. And so while he was on the cross, despising the shame, he said, if I hang in here and don't act on these human urges to punish these people, someday the whole human race will be able to be free from sin. And that's what kept him going. He took joy in knowing that. Verses 6 through 10 talks about more of his joy. And he raised us up together, and he made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus took joy in knowing that we would become personal examples of the grace of God. We often use the phrase that we are here to bring glory to God. This is another way to put it right here. It's the same, it's the same truth, a little different facet of the diamond. Jesus said, someday, Dave Lonsford is going to be sitting in heaven and people are going to be going, no way. And, 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 and God is going to look back at his life and say, look at all I did right there. Look how I helped him. And here he is sitting here right here with me. Isn't that a miracle? And we're going to go, yeah, what a miracle. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say the same thing. He's going to go, wow, you're in heaven. Some of you might come under what it tells us in 2 Corinthians, you're going to get saved, or 1 Corinthians, you're going to get saved so as by fire. And God's going to be up there going, that one fought me all the way, but I brought him home. And that one's going to be in heaven going, thank you, God. I know I fought you. I know I shouldn't have. Jesus was hanging on the cross going, someday heaven's going to be populated with trophies of grace, and i got to hang in there so it can happen. Oh, 
Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you who are called uncircumcision, or by what is called circumcision, he's saying the Jewish people criticize you for your uncircumcised state. You, you were one time outside of Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and he's broken down the middle wall of, of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus took joy in knowing that he was going to unify all mankind in one new thing called the body of Christ. Here he's particularly talking about the great division between Jew and Gentile. The Old Testament believers didn't quite get it right in this sense. God always loved Gentiles, but he had his special chosen people and so they came to hate the Gentiles. Oh, you're just uncircumcised or unreligious, unbelieving folks. And they just hated them. And, and Paul writes to these Ephesians, he says, that was you. You were way outside. But Jesus said, I'm going to bring you into my family, my body of Christ. And us and Jewish believers of all time have been brought together. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, put there by his own Jewish people, his own brethren, he said, someday there's not going to be any division between Jew and Gentile. We're all going to be together. And he hung there knowing that he was going to do that. Look at verse 19 for the last part of the joy of Jesus that I want to emphasize here today. Verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Jesus took joy in transforming us into the very dwelling place of God. Christian, you are where God dwells today, not this building. We call this room the sanctuary because it's been called that for so many years, but you know who the real sanctuary is? It's you. You are the holy place. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, What do you not know? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You were bought with a price. You are the place where God dwells. And when Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking, you know what? Someday God's going to be able to dwell in people. And then he's also talking about us as a church. When we gather, God is here in a unique way. And he says that the church is the visible representation on earth of the body of Christ. All believers of all churches, true believers, 
in true churches all over the world. He said, someday that's going to be possible if I just hang in here a little longer and endure this shame. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.